Welcome to Bald Move TV, the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. But just between us, we're covering a movie today. Uh, I'm your host, Cecily. I'm your co-host, Alexis. Alexis. You don't know me. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Alexis, you might already know from as the lead designer, CEO, and girl boss of Pin-Y. <laughs> all these things are true. Yes. Yep. Uh, so what we're doing today is we are... And making an announcement, we're cover. We are going to be covering together his dark materials on HBO, which is going to be in this Bald Move Television podcast. Uh, each of those episodes are going to air on HBO starting Monday, November fourth, and our coverage of the show will be on this podcast the Wednesday after it airs. So, what we're doing today is just covering the 2007 movie The Golden Compass to get everyone's beak sweat. <laughs> Uh, we'll be getting into some light book spoilers throughout the course of this. Uh, maybe nothing that spoils anything outside of the first book, mm-hmm. do you think? And maybe nothing that spoils outside of the first movie, I would say. Yeah, that too. There's some shenanigans there. Yeah, so if you are afraid of getting spoiled of any- for anything outside of that, then you've got everything you need. We'll see you in November. <laughs> Um, if you're sticking with us, it's it's going to be a good one. <laughs> so let's get started. Sounds good. Let's do it. This movie, this movie, this movie, I, I will say up front, does a lot of heavy lifting in just explaining and expositing everything that's happening. In their defense, it is kind of an enormous world to just walk into because the rules are very different mm-hmm. from what we're used to. I would love to I would love to see like a behind the scenes of how this got made because the I I think well obviously they had an amazing cast to work with mm-hmm. the script just seems like writing it had to have been a slog because it felt like some scenes felt like that too but I I found myself at the end of it even though I was there were some concerns along the way. I found myself desperately wanting more movies from this cast and world. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Some of the designs of like the vehicles and the and things. The city. Yeah, the it's cities. Really beautiful. Yeah. Incredible. Um, it's kind of that like retro futuristic, almost steampunk. Yeah. But not quite. Yeah. Like it's it gets into the steampunk when we see Lee Scoresby's ship and <laughs> maybe like uh, Miss Coulter's matching carriage to her airship blimp right. thing. So cool. Uh, this is the movie that broke New Line Cinema. What? Really? Yeah. You have insider information. I have insider information. <laughs> Give it to us. Okay. So here's what happened. This movie was a huge, very ambitious undertaking. They spent $180 billion, million, million. $180 million? Yeah. That was the budget for this movie. The original director quit. Someone else signed on like they started filming and he quit or she they he he had started um they hadn't even done anything with it yet they were still in the script phase okay and he quit because he was like who am i peter jackson like he actually said that um and he he quit and they hired somebody else that dude looked at the script and said "Mm, nah nah so then the original guy came back he was the first and third director of this movie (laughs) Okay, it's a wonder it turned out as well as it did then. Yeah, uh, the script was rewritten multiple times. There were three original scripts, and they they picked the best of the three, I guess, apparently. Okay. 
uh-huh news to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they they made this movie and i don't know if it was because of the religious controversy mm-hmm. or it might have been mostly that i don't know in 2007 be, that seems likely yeah it was supposed to be a family film but there was all this controversy and that can really that can kill family films yeah so it came in at 70 million in the box office oh yeah yikes and to recoup costs new line cinema sold the overseas rights so then when the overseas money came in which was 280 million new line didn't get any of that money they just oh they completely screwed the pooch on the whole project oh yeah so that is when they got restructured which is to say warner brothers had to su- swoop in and now they supervise all of new lines projects interesting they have to run their budget by them and their um the the number of movies they're able to produce each year was cut in half hmm. so you could say that warner brothers was the miss coulter <laughs> to new lines lyra <laughs> Yeah, do they uh, incise New Line <laughs> away from their, <laughs> their demon that is the Golden Compass? Yeah, I, I saw one thing say that this movie, it's like they they killed the soul of the yeah. Golden Compass and took the body. Yes. Which I I would say is fairly accurate. There, there are masterful attempts to save this movie by the actors mm-hmm. and some of the writing, but it is ultimately, I think, a little bit of a kind of a hollow shell of what it could have been yeah yeah um there are some places where you can see that they scrimped a bit like in the editing department mm-hmm. the kind of like book comparison stuff i want to save till the end for anyone who mm-hmm. doesn't want to hear too much of that and right. they just want to hear us talk about 2007's golden <laughs> compass because we got things to say oh we do before we get any further, I got to do some housekeeping for Bald Move, and there is so much house to keep. I'm gonna have to do it like micro machines, a commercial guy fashion. Uh, Watchmen has come; it's finally here. The follow-up to Damon Lindelof's The Leftovers, and it gets a full treatment, instant live cast for club members, as well as an instant talk, just like we did for Watch uh, Westworld and Game of Thrones, and a full cast with recap analysis and feedback on Tuesdays. We're also still doing Rick and Morty. Uh, we're at season three, Tales from the Citadel. We have an amazing guest, Gustavo Sarola from Rooster Teeth, to break down all of our hip evil Morty theories. Uh, Cecily and I are still doing American Horror Stories Season 9, 1984. If you want to get some October spook on, it's safe to jump in at this season because it's anthology. None of the previous seasons mattered. Also, Cecily and I are doing the Cinema Spooktacular, our third annual installment to Search for Spook. Volume 2 just came out over the weekend, talking about Tallgrass, Sleepaway Camp, and Crawl. Jim and I are covering the final season of Mr. Robot with episodes released on Wednesdays. Check it out on the 2-bit encryption feed. And that's all the housing that got kept. So, the opening narration by Eva Green explains a lot. That there are parallel universes and worlds, and in her world, which is the one we're inhabiting in the movie, your demon walks alongside you and is your soul. Uh, Mm -hmm. connecting everything is dust and that there were these alethiometers which are also the golden compass that can tell the truth and that the magisterium which is the ruling power overall destroyed all of these alethiometer devices and has forbidden the talk of dust so right away i'm confused (laughs) because uh within within the first like time we meet Lord Asriel, he's trying to argue that there are parallel universes and worlds. Mm-hmm. And the opening dialogue of a witch 
who we know is a witch later and probably already knows that this is true, is telling us that these things are true. Right. And we're, we're introduced to dust and the lithiometers and everything. So we start with our cast at Jordan College, mm-hmm. which I do... Okay, this is something I got from the books. It's not any... is a prestigious college, but one of a lot of colleges in this area in the in the city even or, yeah, yeah. So, i believe uh, i think the parallel to like our universe mm-hmm. is oxford college okay because it is it's the city is oxford okay. and it's jordan college within oxford gotcha that's so there's yeah there's a lot of places that are like earth-esque mm-hmm. but slightly different throughout here right um we meet lyra playing with a bunch of uh, egyptian children and other uh what do you call kids who are probably working, but not exactly servants and housekeepers, but they're the children who are servants and housekeepers. Uh, yeah. The, the kids of servants kind of like just like loose city children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. We get um, that. I, uh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. We get that Lyra is not one of many scholars children. She's just a child here playing with the children of everyone around that mm-hmm. she can find. That's her peer. Um, I actually thought it was interesting. I don't know if it's just because they managed to get Daniel Craig as mm-hmm. Azrael, but he is introduced before Lyra is, Yeah, which is so crazy. He plays, a, you know, not an insignificant part in the overall plot mm-hmm. of the series, but he is not actually involved in the books very much. Right. But yeah, we see him first. When we see him a, a lot. We see him a lot in this movie, yeah. For someone who we never hear like speak or and really know what he's doing, yeah. Um. So more exposition here in this scene. We you know we meet the kids. We see that they're. We learn that Lyra is a really gifted storyteller and someone who can make things up and really spin a yarn, and that <laughs> this very friendly bully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I know how kids are. Yeah, but. They're they're having fun. They're playing war. But he also in the scene reminds her that she's just an orphan that was left at the college. That's just yep, something you throw away cool. in each other's faces. <laughs> um, but also kind of in the scene, we see Lyra and Panta Lyman are walking and, you know, we get his name and he's he quickly changes shapes. And in this movie, he changes shapes. He's got a couple of favored shapes. Mm hmm. And we know that they don't settle into any shape until they become an adult, but we don't know why right. or exactly what age. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple of questions, which maybe we'll get into in the series or when we really dive into the books more. Mm-hmm. But I I do know this from the books that the your your demon is usually the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. of yourself not always the case yeah which is very not kind to non-binary people <laughs> right but, <you> exactly know, <laughs> yeah there are some cases of like same sex but uh i'm not sure why that's important at all but and then pants alignment in the scene also explains that when either one of them is hurt they both feel it in the same way right and it's you know as an extension of your soul also has the same feelings as you except they're also their own entity with like thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. so anything that lyra thinks pantalime pantalime doesn't also know they have to speak to each other 
and they can also be heard by other people around them mm-hmm. um, just to establish the world a little bit. Right. I, f- I thought that maybe at first your demon, you could only speak to each other, which mm-hmm. is a really popular like young adult thing. Yeah, for sure. Just having uh, that constant companion. Yeah. Yeah. So we move into uh, inside, you know, Pantaliman and Lyra are exploring and they're showing what an adventurer she is. And she over or she sees Fra Pavel and the master of the college mm-hmm. or a master. Uh, Fra Pavel decides to poison the wine that Asriel is going to drink. And before Asriel can drink it, Lyra bursts out of this closet and stops him from drinking it. And he uses her as a little spy in this scene. Right. This is the the opening to the first book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's, uh, you know, you can tell that he's, you know, frustrated, but also impressed and sees. So there's a glimmer in her uncle Asriel's eye, which we'll figure out. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a little bit of a somewhat roguish character. You get the impression. Yeah. And Daniel Craig. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> That's all. That's all I've got for right now. I'll save it. Uh-huh. All right, sure. Uh, so Azrael say, or I mean not Azrael. Lyra saves him, but is also his spy, and he, she overhears talk of ice bears, which is super exciting, mm-hmm. and we see this shot of dust flowing into a man through his demon from another world. So this is one of many questions I have about dust at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this right now, this amount of dust is visible. Dust is present everywhere, mm-hmm. but not as condensed. So I think they did a bad job explaining this. Yes. <laughs> in the movie. There was a special filter that he used on his camera to get that oh. image. It wasn't just like, you can't just see it. Oh, well, they, they made it seem like you could just outright see it. I know, I know. It's bad. Okay. Bad job. <laughs> okay. So I guess that's really not important to the end of the movie that we'll never see more of. <laughs> right. Uh, we also meet Asriel's demon, Stella Maria, who I love this. is What is this, like a lynx type of? I think so. I think she's a snow leopard. Snow leopard? Yeah. Okay. Love her. Could use more of her. She's great. Yeah. Voiced by Kristen Scott Thomas. Everyone is voiced by someone in this movie. Yeah, it's it's interesting. <laughs> this is one of those times when you appreciate having Amazon X-ray, which I'm not I'm not being paid for this, but you appreciate <laughs> having this Amazon X-ray feature because I can just pause the movie and see all of the names. Oh, is that what that is? I noticed that I don't spoil alert. I don't watch as much as many things <laughs> yeah. as the people on Bald Move do, but um yeah, I noticed that feature that is super useful. Yeah. It's just like, I can't believe, is that who I, oh, that's exactly who I think it is. <laughs> okay, no wonder they spent way too much money for such little return. That was me with Kathy Bates later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Lord Asriel says because he, he the co- college council defied the magisterium by giving him funding into this dust research, which is forbidden, that he's got to leave immediately and... Um, and he does. So a little bit later, we see Lyra on the roof with her friend Roger, and they are doing more expositing about the these things that are called gobblers, which could be any kind of monster or person that's more of a myth in these kids' mind right now. They right. take and also because kids are speaking about it, we we don't know if that's real or not. This could just be 
some stupid thing that they came up with to explain why you know kids are moving away or something right it's in a world of magic you just don't know yeah exactly anything's possible but um so they're they're taking Egyptian kids, orphans, servant kids, and Roger and Lyra make a promise to save each other if anything happens at this point. Um I, I can I ask you about the word Egyptian? So this book was written in the first book was written and published in nineteen ninety five. The His Dark Materials series started then. So I'm I, I guess I am confused about what Philip Pullman was going for with the Egyptian thing. I know it's you know, I'm not calling them gypsies, but also are they from Egypt in the, in this world? Are they like an offshoot of people? Did Pangea break up differently? And <laughs> you know, Egypt is is part of some sort of Eastern European type of Right. I don't know. When we see them on the ship, they seem to just be kind of like loosely ethnic people. All of them, yeah. Yeah, just just a clump of loosely ethnic people, which is not great. But also, (laughs) I don't know that I actually know that much about Romani culture. No. So that could be kind of a thing, but also just calling them Egyptians sucks, and I wish you hadn't done that. Right. Yeah, it's got the the flavor of the gypsy, the word that he wants to use, but not quite. Yeah, it's got that that mysticism attached to it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That idea of mysticism. Yeah. So anyway, they play a big part of this, and we don't get much more uh, exposition on who they are. (laughs) Yeah, we don't even get to see them in their usual context, which is river people. They're meant to be river people. Right. But they're just straight up on the ocean, doing ocean things. And on the ice, doing ice things. (laughs) They, They also can... You know, be indigenous ice people too when it's necessary. I don't know. I guess so. Just like the Samoyeds. Yeah. So that was. I guess maybe we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Let's let's leave that for later. Yeah. But I do want to make one one point here. We see that uh, this maid, Mrs. Lonsdale, brings in Lyra to clean her up. And I know from the book that she has a golden retriever as her demon. Mm-hmm. And you see later Miss Coulter pulls out with her airship and you see all like the servants outside, or valets, butlers, whatever, lined up outside. And they all have dogs. That's a thing. And I yeah. think that's so cute. It's but cute, it's but it weird. also kind of sucks because uh, they make a point I'm I'm gonna say this like a million times, but in the books, yeah, <laughs> they make a point that servants demons usually are dogs, or the idea is that like their soul is just very servile because they happen to be servants, okay. and that sucks. That was the question I had. Is like, at what point does your demon settle into its final shape? Is I mean, it makes sense if it's part of your soul that you would just settle into being a servant type of person, but look with with the Samoyeds later. Every single one of you identifies as a wolf. Yeah, there's no snow leopards out there. Right. There's nobody who identifies as a polar bear. Are polar bears off limits because the Panzerbjorn right. have already got dibs? I. It's really interesting. Um, it's it's very one note. Like it, I think shows a little bit of uh, a lack of creativity when it comes to <laughs> yeah. imagining what people can be oh, if God, they oh, choose shit. a certain job path. I could render three dogs and just multiply it in, in post, or well, does but, everyone... But Pullman did that in the books. Like, I could I could render with my words three oh, is dogs. is it the same in the it's books? basically okay. the same. All of the, the Tartars have, I think they're Timberwolves. Yeah. Timberwolf demons. Wild. Okay, so moving on. 
Lyra um, Lyra meets Marissa Coulter at a di- a fancy dinner with the master, and she tells Lyra that she met Azrael previously, Lord Azrael previously at the Royal Arctic Institute. And they talk about the Svalbard ice bears, and Miss Coulter knows how to play at Lyra, just like she knows how to play at me. Because anytime you talk about ice bears, I'm like, yes, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And gives her a little insight into how King Ragnar wants his own demon, which Panzer Bjorn cannot have, naturally, Mm -hmm. and invites Lyra to go north with her. And uh, ask the master in a very intimidating way. I think Nicole Kidman does a really interesting thing here where her eyes are just like, like, I'm not saying no to you because I really have no idea what you're going to do right now. Right. They're big and sparkly and just absolutely full of deceit. Yeah. (laughs) And craziness. And she she also okay in the books (laughs) it's implied that she has some sort of bewitching power that she uses to entice and bring in children Mm -hmm. because that's uh, spoiler she's the head gobbler (laughs) yeah then we see uh mrs coulter's golden monkey snatching roger and billy which is the worst that monkey uh, is the worst the worst i hate that monkey i think she hates the monkey she does she hates herself she does why is she doing this on her own? You know, we see she's got a bunch of British yeah. beanie or skull cap wearing dudes that can and do the books. Th- it wasn't like that <laughs> in the movie. I guess it's just shorthand. She's just doing it herself because but, she's an ambitious lady. Uh-huh. You know, I'll give her that. <laughs> yeah, she's an ambitious lady boss. Um, so we get a quick, quick cut to uh the emissary of the magisterium and count doku that's yeah we are suddenly (laughs) thrust into a star wars movie and i was like oh shit you got me i'm interested again (laughs) you spent all this money on christopher lee and this is all he got in this This movie all he got in this movie it's crazy i mean he did it great he did did great great but i'm upset yeah (laughs) um he you know he does a great job of doing this really menacing I mean, why? Also, why not just make him the emissary of the magisterium? Because mm-hmm. he is so intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he discusses how the scholars refuse to hand over the last lithiometer. They know it exists, and Azrael has the funding he needs. And the doctors at Bullvanger are close to perfecting the inoculation against the effects of dust and its corrupting influence. So again. We just get that dust is bad, but not any explanation as to what it is or why or anything. Or why it's bad or why some people might think it's good and a thing that they need to preserve. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm honestly going to save a lot of my deep dives and try, and thoughts of what dust is and how it works for our main series podcast. I think that's for the best because like the, the subtitle of this entire universe of stories could just be dust. Yeah. What even is it? Yeah, right. Is it good or bad? Yeah. Is it? I don't know. It, it looks pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's very pretty. So we see another master of the college who's expositing further that the witches <laughs> told him that she's a lar- that Lyra is a larger part of things to come. So he gives her the alethiometer or the golden compass and lets her know that Mrs. Coulter absolutely cannot know that she has it. Mrs. Coulter can't be trusted, but trusted enough to have Lyra in her care. Mm-hmm. 
which is an interesting thing. But also we know that Lord Asriel left the alethiometer here at the college for safekeeping. Mm-hmm. And also the same people at, who work at the college wanted to poison him. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot for a young girl to consider. Um, so they take off in a beautiful airship to London, which I want to keep calling a blimp. I think there's a better word for it, but I think those words are all indicative of it being filled with gas or air. And I think it's completely uh, motorized right now. Yeah, they... Again, in the books, they call them airships. Airships? Yeah. Okay. That's Just the word I was going with. kind of umbrella term. <laughs> I was using airship also for Lee Scoresby ship later. His, they call his a balloon, even though oh. we will see. It's like four fucking balloons strapped together. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. But what? Wild. Uh, I, okay. Again, I love the matching like Adam carriage that she has with it. <laughs> uh, we get a big... Uh, this is where the YA comes in strong. We get some... Uh, uh, everything is lovely montage. She's got a painting right. of herself and her demon, oh, which absolutely yes, yeah. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> Big decorated house. She gets a spray perfume on herself. She gets to play with a map on the wall where we see that the world is the same but different. Um, mm-hmm. And it's 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 cute. It's lovely. It's uh, something very new for Lyra. And she protests to not in this, but she protests to wanting to be a lady. Mm-hmm. A lot, and you can see that she can see in Miss Coulter a lot of similarities with herself, and that she's she's a refined woman, but also a scholar and right. very learned, and something that she could see herself doing. Maybe yeah, she's kind of dazzled by her and thinking like, oh, this this could be like the ideal image to grow into, like a uh, role model. Like this could be the person that I want to be when I get older. Right. She sees. Yeah. Like the power she has over men sometimes, and it's and this is also her first brush with like money, yeah, and what money can do for you, right, and what money how you can surround yourself with certain kinds of things when you have money, right, and it's not just things, it's people too that yeah. you buy the influence of um so Lyra gets a chance to be by herself with a compass in her room, and she sees and she and we get to see kind of how it works that there are three symbols that are lit up, and that this the okay there's three hands that you can we learn later you can choose the symbols of, but in this scene, there's three symbols that are lit up, and another hand that's just spinning like crazy mm-hmm. uh she doesn't know how to read it yet and doesn't really understand what's happening here. And then Mrs. Coulter comes in and what is the is one of the two weirdest edits in this movie where she comes in to say goodnight. And I think they just did it so that Nicole Kidman could have another scene of her wearing an extravagant outfit. Like you put this on just to go to bed, girlfriend. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. But I love it. I love your commitment to this. But also, how do you sleep in that? And also, also, how do you sleep in that and not just immediately destroy it? Or maybe that's the point. Right. Maybe you're... You have I just so got a much... new one for every night. Yeah. She just burns them when she's done yes. with them. Grumbles it up, throws in the fire before she goes to bed. <laughs> uh, so we get another makeover and party montage. And Pantaliman susses out that he doesn't think they're going north. And this part makes me think... Is your demon kind of like your subconscious a little bit? Absolutely. That's like she was impression. already thinking it. He's going to say it. Yeah, exactly. And also kind of your like your moral golden compass. 
The demons also function as kind of your conscience. Yeah. Like when you, if you are doing something wrong and you know it's wrong and you feel bad about it, like it's very possible that your demon is going to say something to you yeah. about it. And that introduces that idea that like, yes, these are two parts of the same person, but these are also very much two separate parts. Yeah. You can very much, as we all know, you can fight with yourself. That's a thing. <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> same. Hard same. Um, so Lyra mentions dust in her lessons with Miss Coulter. And, and that gets her. not like that. No. Monkey does not like that. <laughs> monkey do not like. Uh, so in this scene, she also tells her to get rid of her handbag. Mm-hmm. And she hides it in her room. But, but in doing so, Miss Coulter and her monkey really show Lyra that she cannot win an argument with her. She is yeah. correct in that. She will literally just hold you down. And do bad things to you. Right. And it's got to, I mean, there's this, it, it has to feel like you can still have this superiority in your own self when your demon attacks another person's demon. Like, I didn't do anything to harm you. Mm-hmm. That type of mentality, I feel like, is something that she uses often. I think so. And then at this point, obviously, the shine comes off the apple. Yeah. Lyra's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but if she wasn't done before, she decides that she's going to go and find out what is in the secret room that Miss Coulter keeps going back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lyman finds some papers in the trash and she sees that Mrs. Coulter is part of the general oblation board and has some confidential intercision data. And make a lot of fuss about G-O-B. 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 Like three times, they say. <laughs> Just in case you didn't get it. Wait. Wait. Are you saying that that is where they got the word gobbler? G-O-B is the first three letters of gobbler. Gobbler. Afraid explode. She's the gobbliest gobbler out there. And specifically took Roger and Billy, I think. Well, no, we know she did. Why? It doesn't matter. She shouldn't have, but she did. Yes. <laughs> so uh, while she's distracted, the monkey finds his compass and, or finds the golden compass in her room. And she's able to sneak out before Mrs. Coulter and the monkey can catch her by just jumping out the window with all of her stuff. It's pretty straightforward. It is, and more so than it should has any right to be. Like if the if the monkey, and I keep calling it a monkey, I'm sure it's some sort of technical kind of. Nah, they call it, they just name, call it a monkey. just monkey. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> so if I have to go into like orangutan or you know, I just realized they never even give. I don't even think they oh, do this in the books. He doesn't have a name. That's how like Ooh. how much she hates him. Wild, basically. Rough. Well. Yeah, it finds it finds the compass. It it's been reduced to it now. It finds the compass, <laughs> and it makes me think. It made me think for a moment that Miss Coulter didn't know that it found it. Mm-hmm. Like Lyra ran in enough time, snatched it, and jumped out the window, and then Miss Coulter comes in. And she's like, "Ow, my hand!" Yeah, but surely they share that information with each other. Also, I've... the monkey never speaks. I just realized. Yeah, also. that too. It's the, literally the only demon that doesn't speak. 
So she runs away down the streets and is chased by these school cap wearing gobblers and they are saved by and i wrote this down wasn't in the movie tony costa's the archer mm-hmm. ma costa's son that uh saves her from these net net throwing gentlemen <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we see in this scene that when a person dies their demon dissolves into dust mm-hmm. but Maybe the people in the scene don't know that because they don't have a special lens on the camera that we were watching it through. Yeah, yeah. I I think my understanding is that what you see when that happens is just it's the uh, it's the in game effect or oh yeah, yeah. in game effect. Yeah, they get snapped. Avengers effect. Yes. Avengers. Yeah. So we see that Ma Costa, Billy's mom, has been following her to make sure that she's safe for some reason for reasons yeah not not a thing but don't worry we're gonna go see lord fa and he's gonna explain everything he's gonna make everything better (laughs) so they 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 take the steampunk steampunk boat to uh see lord fa who is played by fucking lord carson did you watch downton abbey I did not. Oh my god. What yeah. a shock this is to see after watching all these seasons of Down Abbey. This I was... guy. Go ahead. This guy with tattoos on his face and long hair. I want to talk about that face tattoo though. <laughs> yes, oh, let's it was talk about it. So bad. So I my assumption is it was too shiny when they first put it on. So they covered it with like either concealer or makeup or something and it's not the same fucking color as the rest of us. They didn't put makeup on the rest of his face nope. and it's so obvious and that bothered me so much in that scene yeah yeah it really did like why why force the face tattoo i don't know like i don't to, know to make it more their inherent exotic. differentness was already inherent yeah you put black eyeliner on the dude like what else what else do you want or you put braids in his long gray hair like it's just <laughs> call it a day but he's doing the thing <laughs> And he says that Lord Asriel has tasked the Egyptians with keeping track of her. Mm-hmm. And why? Why don't they just let... Why didn't Lord Asriel just leave her in the care of the Egyptians? Because obviously this would be the much better place for her to learn how to read the Golden Compass because it's exactly what she does. Yeah, it's it's weird. He talks about... There is like this idea of... A scholarly sanctuary or mm-hmm. something in the books but obviously you know they haven't talked about that at all in the movie so mm-hmm. it's just this thing that happens also it annoys me so much that the egyptians had to like scoop lyra up and take her somewhere it robs her of some of her agency right just one of my biggest complaints about this movie is how much agency is taken from lyra and that's the decisions that she makes the weird paths that she decides to take mm-hmm. is a just a huge part of her character and when you start ta- picking away those parts it's like i don't know she just is kind of getting railroaded through this movie right that's an excellent point because she's not making many of these decisions she's got you know this this wit and this uh veracity to her that she doesn't get to do much with right really, exactly. until like toward the end of the book i guess like i thought this was a movie. really great lyra that they cast here uh, this was her first acting role oh really yeah i think she did a pretty great job yeah she's just got so much like spunk and precociousness to her mm-hmm. and she looks like a believable 
hybrid between uh, Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman, but not something you'd immediately suss out mm-hmm. when you see her. Uh, but we'll never get more of her. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, so quickly we go to, and why I'm not sure, because I think it's, it, it really takes away the tension from what we see later, mm-hmm. but we see children in the North that are riding home to their parents and they are in Bolvanger, even though we don't know this at the time. Right. It's the intercision facility. Yeah. And then we go to, uh, Fa Pavril, Pa Fabril, whatever his name is, <laughs> and Miss Coulter discussing the prophecy of the witches and that she has a box of golden bees or spy flies <laughs> to go find Lyra. I don't know why they felt the need to have, like, why did they spend time on this scene? Is, because this, is this in the books that she sends these things? It is, but I think it would... I think there would be a lot more dramatic tension if they just showed up on the boat and then somehow you find out that it was, or you assume it's that it was Miss Coulter because she's the only one fucking chasing Lyra at this point exactly. as far as we know. Yeah. Her or the Magisterium or both. She's working with the Magisterium. Yeah. So, so why it's either did you... her or Lord Asriel. Exactly. And... Yeah. So why did you feel the need to show this little scene? I guess, I guess they thought the idea of little steampunk flies would just like blow people's minds and they they needed to be explained they i don't know yeah it's okay so when i was making my notes for doing this podcast i was like this is way too much exposition and i cut it in half Mm -hmm. and then i read it again and i was like this is still way too much exposition (laughs) i cut it in half again and i feel like we have what can be the most concise podcast we have on our hands right now i feel like the scripts could have used that a few times over yeah absolutely Maybe, I don't know, <laughs> there maybe less makeover montages, maybe cut out some of these like scenes that, that assume that you're making this movie for an adult to understand, but also uh, uh, below YA can also follow. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Who's this movie for? That's a good question. Another quick shot of Asriel being taken for the Magisterium by the Samoyeds. Yeah. Um, and... In the books, it was the bears that got him. But, oh, really? Yeah. I guess they didn't want to pay for that extra CGI. Mm-hmm. So. No. I wish they were already, it was already an incredibly bloated budget. So I get it. Yeah. Uh, so Lyra on the boat is attacked by these beesquitos, which we later <laughs> learn are spy flies. <laughs> Put a correction in there. But I like the name beesquitos. <laughs> it's pretty good. Sounds like a chip of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Tasty. Mm. tasty bug chips uh so then yeah so they capture one of these things in a little tin and then seraphina seraphina pecola arrives Mm -hmm. in the most the number one most bizarre cut of this movie you see her fade in and start to turn to the left and then we see lyra's reaction you turn back and she's crouching to the right and it's it. They chop the scene up so weirdly. Just let her make an entrance. Yeah. Because if anyone needed more screen time in this movie, it was Eva Green. She I'm, did a good job with that character. I feel like she did. Yeah. She did the most she could. <laughs> we, um, Aaron and I did Penny Dreadful. 
Mm-hmm. We covered that for, uh, we did our own podcast about it <laughs> on Bald Move. And she, she's, she's a national treasure, I think. And it just really, this is one of the things that bums me out the most that we didn't get more of her as a clan queen of the witches. Right. But that is kind of following the books too, though. You, you really don't get a lot of actual background on any of the witches. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. I don't need her background. Just two more movies of her. (laughs) Maybe. Oh, you know what? I'm holding out hope that they cast her for the clan witch in this upcoming series. Fingers crossed. That would be fun. (laughs) It seems like they are. With the exception of the one who is supposed to be from Texas. It seems like they are sticking mostly to British actors. Okay. Which I'm kind of okay with. I don't know how many more fake English accents I need to hear in my lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Getting pretty sick of it. So Serafina here says that they are taking the kids to Ball Vanger, Mm -hmm. which is news to Lyra, specifically the place, I believe. And then we arrive in Trollisland, where we get to meet, which... Is, which is an inspired casting choice. Sam Elliott as the aeronaut Lee Scoresby. Can I tell you, Phil Pullman himself said that this was the one performance that really nailed it in the movie. Really? I guess he is the ideal Lee. He's so which fucking good. blows my mind. As soon as I saw him on the screen, I, I didn't watch this. I haven't seen this movie since it was in theaters. Um, and I forgot literally everything about it. As soon as I saw him on the screen, like last night, oh, I I had to pause because I was laughing too. <laughs> I know, so did I. Okay, so I was watching this movie for our notes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aaron sat down and started watching it halfway through with me. And it was about this scene that I, that I like just started slapping him. And I was like, is this Sam Elliott? <laughs> is this Sam Elliott? And then like it just keeps going on from here. Yeah. You thought the cast was stacked before. Mm-hmm. Wait till you hear that Kathy Bates is exactly one line as Hester the Rabbit, Lee Scoresby's demon. Excuse me, she has three lines. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah, so good. It's it's funny that you say that because I had been watching the scene for a few minutes, and Jim came up the stairs and he was like, "Do I hear Sam Elliott?" <laughs> <laughs> Yes, this is all happening. This is real life. <laughs> what a get. Oh, so good. Like and his a, greasy, greasy hair. It's amazing. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is what I mourn about this movie is that yeah. you had these perfect actors. It had really good talent. It just, the project itself was mismanaged <sighs> so much. Speaking of mismanaged talent, we get to we get to meet Iorik, or sorry, Yorick Berninson. Berenson. So I I can't forget to pronounce the bear in, his, in that name. Baronson. Who's played by Ian McKellen, of course. Of course. Uh, we get introduced to the fact that he's a Panzerbjorn, mm-hmm. which bear. is which just literally means armored, a, armored bear. bear. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that he was is already he exiled for like losing a battle, a challenge to his throne. Mm-hmm. And that he. When he came to this town to just kind of cool his heels for a bit, but the townspeople got him drunk on whiskey and stole his armor made out of sky iron from falling stars, which shitty. Yeah, I think it was an interesting choice to sanitize his background a little bit. Um, in the in the books, he actually he killed a bear, and that's why he was exiled. He killed a bear. Yeah, he got for in no a fight. Okay. He was provoked into a fight with a bear and. For reasons he 
got too angry and he killed the bear. So it's like, and that's like against all, all bear code. Apparently, is killing code. another bear. Okay, yeah. but uh, I guess that was kind of shorthand. They had to give. I don't know. Maybe it was more dramatic to think that the bear king had defeated him before. So, oh, will he defeat him again at the end of the book? Who knows? Uh, right. The, movie, the, I mean. the setup to the story was weird because I think they could have gone with the story of he was challenged to the throne and he lost fair and square. Mm-hmm. And that he came here to hang out and that people stole his armor from him. And that's the way that I just explained it, but that's not what happens in the movie. What happens in the movie is that they explain that he came here, he got drunk on whiskey, which is how he gets paid now. His primary form of currency is whiskey. And he got drunk one time and they took all of his armor. But also before that, but also before that too. And the the way that they set up his backstory was bizarre. But anyway, um... <laughs> Lyra can quickly help him find his armor and he goes and he bursts into the arm armory uh, built a specific shack that looks like it was built to hold bear armor but what do I know I'm not from and Charles also, Lodge there are like a bunch of <laughs> catholic ideograms ideograms yeah. all over the, the wall that eventually uh, breaks apart because yeah. a bear came through great <laughs> uh, <right. laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, uh, you got some bear damage <laughs> I bet you neglected to buy bear insurance. You didn't get bear insurance. We're oh. in the north. What are you doing? There's bears just like everywhere. Yeah, there's a whole lot of them. But sorry, no, don't apologize for their lack of bear insurance. <laughs> he finds his armor. Lee Scoresby shows up and says that I had I, this was actually my idea the whole time. I was right. working on getting you out, buddy. But I found this little girl, and she seemed like an easier plan, and it worked faster than I thought. So Lyra's got an army now. Yep, a tiny army. All right, let's just do a quick evil check-in. Oh, God. <laughs> with yeah. the magisterial emissary and Fra point, Pavel. This starts to feel pretty repetitive. It it's does. like it's like a formula of the way these, you know, check-in scenes happen. And at this point in the movie, I'm like, oh, God. How many more times am I going to have to go through this? I still have an hour? Dear God. <laughs> right. Yeah. I get it. You guys are still evil. You still, still want to poison people. You still want Asriel in jail. You still You're... want to cut kids apart. Like, I get it. Exactly. Yeah. And then we also see in the evil airship that Mrs. Coulter is longing for Lyra in a mm-hmm. way that I think she didn't expect. Uh, well, okay. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But her own demon knocks Lyra's photo out of her hand and she slaps her demon across for the face for it. And then quickly uh, gathers it up and comforts it. So Pretty typical abusive behavior. So what I to, yeah yeah what I thought was really interesting here that they didn't explore maybe they do in the show is that having your demon soul walk alongside you is a really interesting way to show physical representation of mental illness mm-hmm. and the way that people say like if you have a broken leg you won't just. Ex- People don't expect you to just walk on it. You go to the hospital and you get it fixed. Mm-hmm. With mental illness, it's something that people can't grasp and see and understand. Right. It's an invisible disability. Right. So yeah. having a demon alongside you in that way, like, is she having some sort of, is she bipolar in some way? Mm-hmm. Well, how does mental illness work in this universe? And- These are all good questions. Actually, the the first book of the new trilogy goes into that a little bit. There is a very bad 
dude who has a very bad hyena demon that he just Ooh. despises and he beats all the time. Is his name Scar by chance? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I see what you did there. <laughs> I didn't at first, but then I did and it was good. I liked Sorry. it. <laughs> uh, yeah. All questions that this movie will not answer. Nope. <laughs> uh, so Lyra back at the Egyptian camp she decides to look at the compass again and notices that it keeps showing her this house by a lake and finds Yorick and who's you know he's just kind of looking off into the middle distance because that's what he does he's a thoughtful bear <laughs> and this, this is my favorite scenes in the movie she's like I just keep seeing this thing and it's like well you know I, I just thought I'd put it out there and give it a chance and he says you want me or you want to ride me mm-hmm. and she's like yeah and he's like hell yeah girl i just need to take <laughs> off my armor we'll go faster and we'll just yep. be off like we'll blast through snow drifts yeah. it'll be amazing yeah yep. yeah we're not even gonna tell anyone where we're going yeah we're None just of gonna that. just peace out so they they do peace out and they go to the house and they find billy and his demon has been taken and he looks like shit but as much like shit as he does look, I I feel like this was another thing that was sanitized a little bit for the movie because in the books he is like he is a wreck. He is talking and he actually has like this oh. dry dead fish that he's like clutching to his chest oh my God. because he misses his demon so much. Of course. And it's it's fucking heartbreaking. <sighs> and also he dies. But he he doesn't hear. He like gets to meet up with his mom who wasn't even she didn't come north no in the book but she did here but just to just to have this reunion i guess to give us like some false idea that there was a happy ending there but right that's so much more than was missing than i thought was missing they make it pretty clear that a person can't actually survive without their demon yeah yeah which is uh, which is the impression i i think i was given by how closely they show the relationship between your person and your demon Mm -hmm. previously uh, but the only questions I had were like, what the fuck is he doing here in his cold shack where he would yeah. clearly have died under a tarp? Right. Were there other kids in that shack? Why was he there? Was he like supposed to be ice fishing without a soul? I don't, I I just don't I, understand Yeah, what happens to children after they're de-demonized. It's not, it's definitely, it's not very clear in the movie, in nope. the book. There was just a few, there were a few kids that got out. <laughs> yeah. That or you know what? No, I think they actually do discuss that in a later scene once Bullvanger becomes oh. a bigger part of the. Uh, they were they're giving a report. To You're Mrs. right. Coulter, That's he's one say, of the three children. Oh, some of the kids died, but then some of them got out, and she was real mad about it. Yeah, they said like That's they the said three children got out, two were recovered, but they were dead. Mm-hmm. So Billy's the third. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense, but not really. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's how did weird. he get that far? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, oh, also, it was a it was an actual town in the book. It wasn't just a fucking ice shack in the middle of okay. the great north nowhere. <laughs> they ran out of ice bear budget to render a whole town. So they didn't want it. it yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so they returned Billy to the Costa family, and everything's fine except for it's not. And the Samoyeds show up. It's, is are they the Samoyeds? Do I keep saying that because that's the dog type? And I think. It's okay. So they're all timber wolves, and nobody chose a Samoya as their demon. So so messed up. Real missed opportunity. Uh, they are they are called Samoyeds in the movie. 
interesting because in if I'm not mistaken in the book all of the the people who are working for the magisterium in the north are called Tartars. Oh. But here they actually split them into two separate groups. I don't know if that was like a nod toward hey indigenous people exist too. But either way calling them Samoyeds still sucks. Like that's just <laughs> That's a, that's a dog thing, and maybe that is a legitimate name for indigenous northern people, but if it is, I haven't heard it. Right. Like the, yeah, like the Egyptian thing. It's, it could have used a little little closer look. Yeah. It was an okay attempt, but <laughs> it was just an attempt. Yeah. <laughs> so in this uh, ensuing battle, uh, Lyra gets taken to the Ice Bears, yeah, we just the the order of events is completely switched around in the oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, in the book they they go to Bolvanger first, oh, and okay. it, the like semi climax is the fight between the bears. Oh, and then it goes on to the other part that you don't get to know about because it wasn't in the movie. <laughs> okay. So read the book, you ding dong. <laughs> yeah, or I'll wait for the sequel. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So she gets taken to Ice Bears, and the first thing I notice is that Yorick's armor as the rightful prince isn't nearly as cool as Ragnar's super cool armor with his, like, spiky helmet. They do, yeah, they do a poor job representing this, uh, shockingly, in the movie. But the Magisterium has been investing in the Ice Bears, basically paid them to... Oh my god, are you serious? Yeah, and that's why... That makes so much more sense! I know, right? It's all, (laughs) like, it's an explanation for why things are the way they are. Okay, yep, yep. <laughs> but that that's why his armor is like choice, you know, and Yorick's is rusted and pitted and But Yorick's terrible. was described as being made out of sky iron from falling stars. Meteorite, it should be yeah. a thousand times cooler. Is this not his original armor? Is it his original armor? It's his original armor. Um, In, in the book, they give him a little scene after he gets it back where he, he goes to the the shore of a of the lake or the ocean or whatever and takes some he kills a seal and he takes the fat from the seal and like rubs it on the armor and polishes it back up again yeah but it's still described like the quality of it is not as good as it's yofer but they didn't want to call him yofer yeah because it was too close to york (laughs) i guess so they called him ragnar instead um oh okay but still what you make yourself out of a meteorite is never going to be as good as what religious people can never buy you fact yeah fact no golden lay <laughs> in meteorite armor when you're just making it with hammers and stuff yeah <laughs> um so ragnar def- desperately wants a demon which we already know or lyra already knows mm-hmm. so she is the gifted storyteller that she is says that she is yorick's demon and that she actually wants to be ragnar's demon you know, you know how that goes with the whole classic switcheroo. He's the rightful king and she wants to be his demon. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that. He's doing that cool thing that you mentioned earlier, like clutching his would-be demon. Yeah. That shows the impetus in his mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he asks her to prove how she's a demon. She uses the golden compass to... Figure out how he actually got to be the king that he is, and that is he poisoned the. It's a classic poison the old king, and cast out the new one so that you are the last in line of succession. Killing the old king doesn't seem necessary, 
we getting the new king that you took over probably would have explained more. Like, if you poison the old king, fine, I guess. Mm-hmm. But him challenging Yorick for the throne makes me think that maybe Yorick just lost fair and square. I So this is... The Magisterium didn't give them new armor before that. <laughs> right. This is how it went down in the books. Okay. I got the I got the dirty details. Give me the scoop. So, uh he actually Yofer, or sorry, Ragnar asks Lyra a different a different question. He asks her what was the first creature I killed? Mm. And it was his own father. Ah! So he's also a bear killer, so he's also a piece of shit. Which fine, whatever. Go with that. Yeah. But also because also the way that Yorick was exiled in the book is what led to Yofer being able to take over because he was the only other one who had a claim to the throne. Okay. But because Yorick was exiled, you know, obviously he couldn't do that anymore. So Yofer was just the the natural, like, there's nobody else, so it's you kind of thing. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's... <laughs> they changed things in such a weird way there. Yeah, I mean, every time I'm disappointed by this, by what I've seen in this movie, I also get excited because I feel like yeah. HBO knows what went wrong and how they're going to fix it. I really and hope so. instead of two very dense hours, they're going to give us however many hours. That of... was, yeah, that's the other thing. I'm really looking forward to the runtime because yeah. I, I think a lot of what made this fail so bad is there's just so much to explain in yeah. two hours, but now you get 10 hours to really get in depth with character development and actual explanations and slowly releasing information over time instead of dumping it in enormous five minute chunks. Right. And the world yeah. building and the lore, that's something that I'm really interested in. And it's something that I'm all about. I don't want you to yada yada through that stuff. Yeah. Like put me there. <laughs> right. Show me. Don't tell me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Yorick, shows back up to the ice bears and he's got his he's got his armor on and he's ready to challenge Ragnar again and before he can renames her Lyra Silvertongue yep which that's cool I like that it is cool you can do a lot worse than getting a new name from a bear (laughs) yeah I like it especially since I tried to do some mental gymnastics about what her last name really meant or was mm-hmm. uh that you know was it ba- was it spelling some other word backwards nope just balakwa is a name just is what cool, i take away from this movie just a cool french name yeah, yeah. i don't even know where balakwa balakwa comes from no because coulter uh what is Azrael's last name i don't even know is it Balakwa? is it just Azrael? he's lord Azrael. i i can't remember I if they ever first name was something else give him a surname that's probably a little detail that I've forgotten. I have I have read so many of these books in the last few weeks. Uh, so, okay. So the, Ragnar and Yorick have this battle for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And right when Ragnar bites Yorick's arm, I'm thinking, oh my God, really? They're not going to show us any blood? Like, yeah, it's it just... Again, very sanitized. Exactly. But then he rips his fucking jaw off. Yes. And the most sanitized jaw ripping I've ever seen. Very, a very tasteful (laughs) jaw ripping. ripping. (laughs) 
I would say, yes. And he says, all right, you fuckers, who's the king again? And they're like, oh, yeah, you are. Do you want some new armor? And he's like, no, fuck it. And he leaves behind all of his armor, and yeah. he barebacks. <laughs> oh, he eats, he eats the, he eats Yofer's heart in the book. Oh, oh yeah. I know, so much cooler, so okay. much more like. Yeah. Heavy metal. So instead of any of those cool things, he, he barebacks <laughs> Lyra to Bullvanger himself, and they get to this ice bridge, and he's like, oh, I'm right behind you. It's fine. You just go ahead. I'll be right behind you. I don't weigh multiple <laughs> thousands of pounds. Yeah, no. Right. Like, I I think he knew in his heart that he barely trusted her weight getting across there, mm-hmm. uh, but she made it, and he's like, all right, I'll, you know, just stay right there. I'll come back for you. And she's like, no, nah, I'm going to go in. So it's such a stupid thing that they had to manufacture because of the order that they did things in. Right. Yeah. Because he, I'm going to spoil this, these later scenes here for you, but he goes from here back to his home where presumably his ice bear home, where he's the king of, mm-hmm. and he left where he left his armor mm-hmm. and gets only his armor and comes back to help with this final fight. Yeah. Not the rest of the ice bears that just pledge their allegiance to him. Just him. It makes no sense at all. <sighs> okay, so Lyra goes to Bullfinger, <laughs> finds Roger as Lizzie Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't matter for very long that she made up some sort of uh, some sort of identity because Miss Coulter arrives, and this is where you talked about earlier. We find out that three children have escaped, two dead, one is living, and right after she leaves. Lizzie Brooks gets captured and they immediately just throw her into the incision in- intercision machine. Yeah, they were just talking about how like Mrs. Coulter was a terrible person because she took some kind of glee out of like she was ripping so... their souls yeah, away exactly. from them. And then they're just going to turn around and do the same thing. Huh. Weird. It's almost like it's bad writing. Like is this protocol? If a child overhears too much, it's protocol to just throw them in there? Maybe. And also, you they're all wearing scrubs and what seem to be uniforms, mm-hmm. so there's no procedure leading up to this. You don't, like, take all of her... You don't look through her bags or her pockets to make sure there's not some stuff in there that's going to be messed with in the interstitial machine? No, oh, she's just a kid. What would, what would she have <laughs> that would... Yeah. I mean, it didn't end up mattering. It just seems like we... It just seems way too convenient of a way to dispose of a child. Mm-hmm. When you could just lock them in a room by themselves and say, what do we do? Right. Um, thankfully, Mrs. Coulter arrives because I would say 85% of the procedure is just for show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the last 15% she saved her from. Right. Yeah, that math checks out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so her at- only, I would say her only mom moment in the entire movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She stops her from happening and then she wakes up. Lyra wakes up with Pan right beside her, which is super cute. Yeah, he's in his kitty cat form. Yeah, I love that form. Because when they were going into the lake by the or house by the lake earlier, Mm -hmm. and Pan or Pan was saying, "I want to call him Pants for some reason." (laughs) Pants Lyman was really scared. He's like, "Don't go in there! Don't go in there!" He had these big, like, cute cat eyes. It killed me. (laughs) So he's doing it again. He's being adorable. And this scene causes Miss Coulter, Mrs. Coulter, to reveal that she, in a roundabout way, that she and Lord Asriel are her real mother and father. Mm-hmm. 
So Lyra gives her the gold spy fly that they had encased in this uh, uh, metal pan. And this thing comes out with such a force that it knocks out Miss Coulter, which couldn't have asked for a better result in this whole trickery thing. I thought her trying to force it open would be the time she needed to buy to escape. Yeah. But it was what happened after. No, no. Well, uh, it was established before that the flies have like a, a neurotoxin that puts you to sleep. Oh. They can sting you. Yeah. Was it? Also, yeah. Um, oh, we skipped over this point earlier. Uh, we found we found out in that discussion after Mrs. Coulter saves Lyra that dust is supposedly the byproduct of original sin. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I did completely miss that. Yeah, I, th- I, I think she just straight up told Lyra that. I think that is happening in the because then there's, it says there's so much direct awful parents are exposition to miss. <laughs> yeah. So what? So uh, how does that, that work? So what Mrs. Coulter says to Lyra is, uh, our ancestors, two of our ancestors a long time ago, which they don't straight up say it, but it's Adam and Eve, obviously oh. uh, made a terrible mistake, and that caused. Mm dust to exist and okay. when dust starts settling on people that's bad apparently because it came from original sin and that's what happens whenever people uh, when their demons settle okay. their shape when they settle their shape more dust can enter a person through their demon oh and that's bad and they don't really say why that's bad other than the fact that it is tied to this idea of original sin I guess and they don't say why like how they know that that happened that that caused <laughs> dust like how do you know lady you weren't there you didn't have a filter on your camera <laughs> cameras didn't exist back then <laughs> oh i caught you in your lie <laughs> you that's what's so confusing about it is that dust it's just it's a it's a shiny thing that makes you want to be in favor of it and I think it's also, I think it might have something to do with, like, sexual desire. What? Puberty puberty, and puberty. sexual desire, like, tied in somehow in this So you want less dust series. or more dust? Less dust. You want the dust to be moving more? You don't want any. You don't want it to be connected to you anymore. Okay, I'm very And that's confused. why they're cutting the demons <laughs> off of kids before their demons can settle. Huh. Is to save them from dust settling on them and causing them to have, like, sexual thoughts and growing up basically oh okay yeah i'm still confused <laughs> we'll get to it in the main uh, his oh, dark yeah, material series don't worry i'm sure it'll handle it a thousand times better than this did <laughs> it won't be two lines of dialogue it'll be you know yeah discussed over the course of 10 episodes or 30 episodes yeah yeah whatever it is <laughs> uh okay so lyra in her escape, destroys the lab in an awesome way, and mm-hmm. all these pre-prepared, warmly dressed children escape, only to be stopped by the Samoyeds, who are only stopped by Scoresby, the only one Panzerbjorn. I wrote down the Panzerbjorn, but there was just one. The Egyptians and the witches showed up. When Yeah, when the Egyptians and Lyra were first setting off from uh, Tro- Trollisland? From the camp that they set up to the house by the lake. Okay, yeah, they were. They saw we them. We saw a flock, a flock of witches. That's the only way to describe them because that's what they look like. It's just ravens crossing the sky. Um, and right. somebody and Yorick says, "I hate should, to be on the other side of that battle." Yeah, you better hope that they're flying to to help you. Otherwise, 
you're fucked. He doesn't say that, but he animates no, it. It's implied. <laughs> <laughs> the one bit of exposition, direct exposition we didn't get, uh, you're fucked. <laughs> but yeah, the witches, God, they were traveling so fast. It's almost as if they could have prevented any of the other bad things that happened because they just yeah. showed up now. And they have like a lot of foreknowledge, apparently. Right. They know about all these prophecies mm-hmm. and things. Oh, you know what? I I forgot. I should have mentioned this up top. And the movie should have mentioned this up top, too. So this whole prophecy around Lyra, she is not supposed to know that she is doing... She's not supposed to know her ultimate goal in this yeah. prophecy. Like, it'll only happen if she doesn't know what she's doing. Right. Which basically means she has to, like, fall on her dick a whole bunch and cause things to happen. Yeah. As you do when you're a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, I guess you could maybe say that's why the witches don't interfere that much up until a certain point, but yeah, still stinks of bullshit to me a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that stinks of bullshit is whatever the fuck they're doing with the witches in this fighting scene. What? Serafina's bow is made of knives, apparently, because she's just like, she's killing people just by hitting them with the, the bottom just, part yeah. of the bow in the head. That's all it takes. Yeah, just in the... These soldiers... And it's happening like fast and so disjointedly that this could have been a really cool fight scene, but it's so it's small and weirdly edited. So and it's all one color except for the gold dust. Right. Yeah. There's there's a huge lack of ice armored ice bears. Which is I mean, very dramatic. I was under the impression the war was the sea that they swam in. <laughs> Yeah, but not. So why wouldn't they be all up in this? Oh, oh, right, because the the order of the fucking thing was changed. Right, that's why. <laughs> Ugh, and also they probably didn't want to pay for that. But yeah, it was like to have all these different diverse groups of people fighting. It was weirdly like non dramatic and kind of anticlimactic. Right, like okay, I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So if and we could have gotten the- a shot of a witch. Oh my god, what if Serafina and Tony Costa had like conjoined their armor or their archer powers and done something cool with that in a right. fight scene? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like get fucking Michelle even... McLaren in there and done. And this is the Ooh. studio that made the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes! What the fuck? What the fuck? What the actual fuck? You're telling me one of the 3,000 famous people that are not even just that guy type of famous people, like people that are immediately recognizable by mm-hmm. their voice? None of them knew someone who could help you with the fight scene. Right. Agreed. None of the 100 extra million dollars in China <laughs> could have helped you out with this. <laughs> to be fair, one, I, 100 of those extra million dollars probably went to script rewrites. Okay. Because it happened so many times. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> this is the best <laughs> they could do. Um, okay, so let's let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh no, I mean, this movie, it just needs to, it needs to end now. That's true. Lee Scoresby and Serafina, which is cool. I would pay, the number of dollars I would pay for some Lee Scoresby, specifically Sam Elliott and Eva Green as Serafina Palaka fanfic yeah. uh, is not zero. I, I, you know, <laughs> I love this. Yeah, it's, it's a... Those are two very interesting people to throw into a room together. Yeah. Yeah. So you never watched Penny Dreadful? I did not. I started watching part of it, I think, and then I stopped because it was getting a little soap opery for me. It's good. 
It's really good. She's got the same kind of... Okay, so the reason I'm saying that, I guess, <laughs> if I want to get into my psychology <laughs> of it, she... Uh, so Eva Green's character in the show has a relationship that's not sexual at all, but is not like a father daughter thing either. It's just kind of a professional relationship with two like incredibly hot people. And I've been buying a lot of time by talking, trying to figure out what this guy's name is, but I can't remember. Oh no. He was, he was one of the, he was one of the bonds. Timothy is Timothy. Not Sutton. It's Timothy something. When I hear Timothy, I immediately want to say Oliphant. That is very wrong. I know. That's I know. what keeps coming to my <laughs> mind too. But her and this other guy in uh Penny Dreadful, they're mm-hmm. they're they're really good and it's reminiscent of that. It just makes me miss that and uh well let's let Lyra speak for us here. <laughs> she, where she uh Scoresby and Seraphina are talking about the prophecy that Myra will decide the war which is to come which would have been a good time for them to say but she's also not supposed to know mm-hmm. like you did but they didn't um and that Azrael is trying to travel or Lord Azrael is trying to travel between worlds to study this dust yeah which uh, is an interesting motivation to assign to that I don't I wouldn't say that is true okay but sure he's <laughs> They really... This is our and the audience and their understanding of it? Yeah, it's interesting. They really um, had to up his charisma by like 10 times to make him play on this particular screen in this particular movie because uh-huh. actually he's an enormous piece of shit. What? But you never see that. Her <laughs> dad, her mom and dad suck? Yeah, they're terrible, which God, we, so could, we could go into the... The role of bad parents in making YA happen. Yeah. Like enabling YA to happen. But we anyway, could talk yeah. about the role of why or bad parents and why YA works on us. <laughs> Let's <laughs> not do that today. <laughs> Just in general. Like you, I don't think you ever see good parents in YA because bad parents are a lot make of the good time. Stories. <laughs> what, what leads their children to, you know, try to find another world or run off with whatever. But anyway, I, I digress. This is this is the digression podcast. <laughs> so there's okay. a line that Lyra has, and I don't know if it's the last line, but it's one of the last ones that she has. And she says, in reference to Azrael, I'm bringing him what he needs. Yeah. And that, I that written down. is deeply ominous if you know the ending of the book. And I don't. I will not I will not say, but I will say that that what happens from that is one of the reasons why I say Azrael is just as big a piece of shit as anybody in the Magisterium, as Mrs. Coulter, as anybody. Like, science and religion are both equally bad and kind of running amok. Right, in, in the wrong hands. Yeah, but they, it's, in the book, books, religion and science are kind of bad. But in this movie, it's, religion is the only thing that's bad. Yeah. It's I mean, I think portrayal. in the real world that can be true, too. You know, if you think about, like, Nazi doctors and the kind of it's anybody with power and authority and ambition, right? That is unchecked, right? There's got to be some. And this movie shies away from that. Hmm. It's one of the many things. One of my overall impressions of this movie is that it is afraid to go into that kind of theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in general, this movie is afraid to explore the darker themes in the books. Okay. There is the the idea of the destruction of imagination, mm-hmm. which. 
they which could be interesting because they set up that lyra has this incredible imagination yeah exactly so that and that is probably why mrs coulter saved her from the indecision machine even though she is putting other kids through it so that's going to be important yeah because she thinks that lyra is better than those other kids oh so it's only certain kinds of kids who deserve to have their but she must think that about herself too because she's not willing to cut her demon away from her Mm -hmm. or it's too late i think it might be too late i I think they mentioned that in the book but again the movie Mm -hmm. doesn't have doesn't have time to give us even more exposition. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Lyra's last question here, my last notes are that she wants to know what dust is. And you know what? Honestly, so do I. <laughs> yeah. I don't, um, I don't have, I don't have any better understandings from this movie. Uh, you know, if I hadn't have tried to read through the book before we did this podcast, mm-hmm. Which honestly, I was saving. I didn't. I don't know if I said this before on the podcast, but I was saving doing all of my like reading and research and stuff until after this movie, because when I started watching this movie and doing the two things simultaneously, I realized that nope, I'm gonna just gonna take yeah. this one one at a time. It's a lot, and I'm glad I did because I. It's just it's got to be so confusing for anyone who had no exposure to this yeah. universe at all. If you don't come into this movie already having at least a layman's knowledge of the series. It's just, it's a lot. It's so much to take in and they don't do a good job with it. Right. There's, there's simultaneously, there's too much exposition and not enough in the right places. Exactly. Like they're missing, they should have figured out the themes first before they tried to force us into a screenplay. That is a very good point. I, it feels like the people who wrote this movie or the composite people who wrote this movie Maybe you didn't understand what it was about. Right. Yeah. They're just like, oh, well, these are cool, flashy characters, so let's get them all committed. Exactly. <laughs> these are the events that happened, so here, here are these events. Um, it was a really ambitious project. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that they did at least try. You always got to give people props for that. Mm-hmm. It. Yeah, nobody phoned this in. All yeah. these performances are great. They, they tried really hard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ultimately, either due to a bad script or just the mismanagement of the project in general by New Line, I don't think it was successful. Hmm. But I will say, having watched this movie again, I am that much more excited for the series. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, me too. I didn't know how excited I would be until um, (laughs) watching this terrible (laughs) movie that just left you with this is hunger more than anything absolutely i mean it's it's i guess it's a lot better than them making you feel like ah so turned off from the franchise you're like no mm-hmm. um but there you know there's just some slight differences that you can already know from the trailers they went back on like nicole kidman as this golden blonde that kind of matched her monkey's fur and just the her eyes she's doing a lot with that but this like new this new actress whose name I forget that they cast who matches Lyra's description in the books of this like dark haired mm-hmm. person. It seems like she's got the same intense energy to her. And I'm really excited for them to expound on this universe and fill in the lore for for the love of God figure out already for the love of. Is there a God figure in the Magisterium? Mm-hmm. The creator. Okay. For the love of the creator, can (laughs) you just give us 
what we want you know you have to understand that fans want the lore the backstory they Mm -hmm. want all of these questions answered or not answered but acknowledge that they exist and and build this world that we all want to be a part of and don't just try to flash it up yeah yeah yeah. exactly it can't just be a series of events strung together it needs to be an entire being it can't just be the body it needs the soul too yeah just like children just like adults yeah (laughs) so this this new series seems really promising it's got an incredible cast um again like i said this show starts in america it will be airing on monday nights on hbo and again our our coverage will be weekly and it'll come out on wednesday wednesdays during the day at some point (laughs) and it will be on this bald move tv feed And if you are going to be watching with us and you want to send any feedback to us, then you can do so at tv at baldmove.com. You can also join the forums at forums.baldmove.com to join any of your fellow fans to talk about the episode or discussion. We're excited about this. Obviously, we're taking on this uh, project independent of the boys. (laughs) Yep. This this continuing through like mid-january project yeah Yeah. oops didn't realize that but that's fine so just don't tell them that this is happening and we'll just keep it between us yeah they're uh they're not in the studio right now and they will not be so exactly so just open your golden compass (laughs) and then you can see when the next episode is going to be posted (laughs) what symbols would that be it would be symbols okay it would be an alcohol bottle Okay, yeah, accurate. And then morning time. It's got to be like some sort of, like a s- early sun or what do you so think? So it would be the clock, but it would be the topmost meaning of clock, which okay. would be earlier. Yeah. I'm such a... The time that doesn't register nerd. like on their schedules. Exactly. And then... And then the third hand would be... A tampon? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that, but you may have been watching more closely than me. Oh, no. I'm talking Madam. about the golden compass and like how you find a women's podcast on bald move tv and it's like it's it's there right i mean it'll point you in the right direction you'll get there you know how to read your own alethiometer so they're all different right or something <laughs> but that's all we've got for today we're so excited to see you guys on november 6th in november we'll be here again i'm your host cecily i'm your co-host alexis and we'll see you soon bye bye